you will, turn in your Bibles to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 23, as we continue our study through the Word. What an amazing time in the ministry of Jesus. He has been there in Galilee, moving about, teaching and preaching. The crowds are gathering. But lame humanity is being touched now by the healing hand of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever the infirmity, whatever the issue, Christ was showing himself to be Lord over all. The paralytic is healed. The blind is receiving their sight. The lame are, are leaping for joy. And, and we see the people are being instructed that the kingdom of God is at hand. What an amazing thing that God himself, incarnate, came down from heaven to walk uh, amongst us. I love the fact that God didn't tell us how to live, that he came down and showed us exactly how to live. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, fully connected to the Father, submitted to his will in all things, and now setting up the kingdom of God, of which he himself is that gate. He is the entry point into the kingdom of God. And so we see that he comes and begins to show his credentials by ministering to the people and, and the crowds. They continue to come. The religious leaders are upset, especially the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember that the scribes and the Pharisees, they took the law and then they built out this enormous structure from the law. But Jesus now, while keeping the law, wasn't keeping this incredible structure that they had built it into. And so they now saw him as a rival. They saw him as leading the people astray for not following the man-made tradition that they had turned the, the law into. You'll remember that Jesus had delivered a, a mute who had been demon-possessed. And you'll remember last time that the accusation was that he does it by the power of Beelzebub. He does it by the, uh, the power of hell itself. That the power was evident, was indisputable, because Jesus now was doing what no one was able to do. But uh, we see that rather than recognizing the identity of Jesus, they begin now to walk in opposition to him. You remember that Jesus has compassion on the people. He sees now the crowds that are coming. And as they are getting larger and larger, you'll remember that Jesus is continually telling everybody, don't go and share the miracle with, uh, with everybody. And, and he sees that the, the, that the sheep, they, they are like without a shepherd. And now it is time to begin to build forth his ministry. He is going to select the 12 apostles that he himself is going to pour into. You remember that he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers because the field is white unto the harvest, but, uh, but there are few laborers to go out. And, 
And now we see that, that the apostles, they, they had been disciples, they had been followers of Jesus, but now they are going to become the apostles, the foundation through which Christ is going to, uh, to build the church. And, and I think about this time, I, I think about the time when they have been watching Jesus and how amazing that is to have been with Jesus. And no matter what the circumstance or the situation, Jesus has the, uh, the answer. They're in a boat, the wind and the waves. Jesus, and he just, you know, and the wind and the waves and stuff. Whatever the circumstance and situation, Jesus has the answer. And, and how fun that had to have been when they were now just watching. But now Jesus is going to send them out. To, to go, I'm giving you authority to, you know, over demons and I'm giving you authority over you know, sickness and illness and, and all. And, and so two by two, they, they are sent out. It's one thing to watch somebody else do it and then all of a sudden it's like, it's your turn. And it's like, I wished I had paid better attention <laughs> when I was watching how you were doing this uh, now. And you'll remember that as he's sending them out, he, he tells them, you're not allowed to bring anything either. No, no security blanket, no, no reinforcements. You're not allowed to bring your, your own supplies, your own ministry needs. You, you have to become dependent upon God for the work of God in your life. I find it true not only for them, but for us also as well. God wants you in a place, listen, of dependence upon him, not independence. In our culture in our lives when when we grow up we think that adulthood means that we move from dependence to a place of uh, of independence where our parents used to have to do everything for us and and then we learn to start to be able to to do for ourselves and then we get to that place where I am fully functioning as an independent adult. I can take care of myself. But I want you to know that in spiritual maturity, it's the exact opposite. We start off independent of God. And we have to learn to grow to become completely dependent upon God. Because the works of the flesh aren't acceptable to, to God. God didn't create you to be independent of him. God, God didn't give us the, the word to study it to see what does a Christian look like and now I, I'm going to go and be a Christian. We are to be connected and fully dependent. Jesus would say it another way. He, he would say, I'm the vine and you are the, the branch and apart from me you can do nothing. And so this, this complete dependence upon God, it goes against our nature as, as we seek independence and and but there is that learning curve that that they're going to have to go through and as believers ourselves as we mature we're going to also have to go through that dependence upon god he tells them as he's sending them out it's not going to be easy he says, I, i'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves and and he says and don't think that the that the world is going to be excited about the the message that that you've got the world wasn't excited about the message that Jesus himself brought. And, and so we really see in this 10th chapter, Jesus you know, starting to pour into them, talking to them about what they are going to experience. And so they are moving now from, you know, from observing Jesus to now participating with Jesus. And, and so also we are called into participation. 
once the issue of our salvation has been settled and, and now we are disciples, we have the indwelling power and presence of, uh, of Christ uh, in our life, now God's desire is to be able to use us, every single one of us, to be able to reflect his glory to the world that is uh, around us. He will use us in different ways. Just as most assuredly he has given to each of us different gifts, different personalities, different interests, and, and all. But in all of that, you have been finally fashioned and fitted for the exact place that God has for, for you. Jesus now is taking these 12 apostles, and, and we looked at them last time, and, and this collection they weren't the elite. They weren't the, uh, the, the noble. They, they weren't those that had gone through the, the best of the education and, and they weren't the world's finest, but they were the men that God had called. Opposite as opposite could be and Matthew the tax collector with Simon the zealot and fishermen and, and the whole lot of them. But once again, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And these were the called. These were the men that God chose. And you also have responded to that call of God in your life when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so it comes place in our life, in our relationship with God, where we stop consuming Christianity as a product when we stop coming to church and, and suddenly now we become the church. We suddenly now move to that place where, where God wants to use you to touch the people that are around you. And so an instructive chapter, this 10th chapter here, is as Jesus just is teaching and, and instructing them. We pick it up in this 23rd verse here where Jesus now has been talking to them about the, the importance of enduring, about the division that is going to take place and how brother is going to rise up against brother and there is going to, uh, to be difficulty within our own households. He says, when they persecute you, in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so, as they are going to share the gospel and the, and the kingdom of God, they are going to face resistance. And he says that when you face persecution, he says, just move on. It's interesting the way that you look at Paul's ministry in the book of Acts and the way that in the cities he would go in and he would be stoned, he'd be thrown into jail, and he, would, you know, and he would depart to the next city and they would come and chase him down. He would depart to the, the very thing that Jesus is talking about here we see in Paul's life in the book of Acts. He, he says, just keep on moving, keep on moving. Let them receive it where there are receptive hearts. And where there is not, then just continue to keep on moving. God never forces himself upon anybody. God's not going to force himself on you even. And as far as we are in our relationship with God, God wants you to go to the next level. He's inviting you to go to the next level, but he's not going to force himself. He always is waiting for that invitation, for that desire of your heart to want more of him and less of the world around you. And so, 
persecution, just depart, move on. He says the gospel is not going to go around all of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now, what does that mean? That's interesting, that verse there. It's one of the more difficult verses in the entire book of, of Matthew here as to exactly what Jesus is talking about in, in this verse. And so before the Son of Man comes, we see here that, uh, that there's a couple different views. One view is, is that Jesus is sending out the 12 in the sets of two, you remember he said, don't go to the north, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the south, don't go to the Samaritans, but, uh, but just right here. And, and what Jesus might have been referring to is, is that you're to go out and keep moving. If you face persecution, move the next one. And you're not going to be able to get around this whole area before I come to you. And so kind of they're the advanced team, and then Jesus is going to come and meet them. And, and so that, that is the first view. The second view deals with the fact that when Jesus says that the Son of Man comes, that he's talking about comes in judgment. He's talking about the judgment uh, against the nation for the rejection of the Messiah. That the gospel is not going to move throughout the entire nation before that judgment falls upon them. Now, we would see that judgment as the destruction of the temple uh, and the destruction of the nation by Titus in AD 70, that the gospel hadn't gone all the way through before that judgment falls uh, upon them. And there is also the, the third view, which means that Jesus is talking about it in an eschatological sense. In other words, his second in coming. And so we see that this is talking about the millennial kingdom and the establishment of the uh, millennial kingdom itself. And so uh, here we see that, uh, that even today, the gospel has not penetrated the hearts of the nation of, uh, of Israel. It is such a small minority of Messianic Christians that you will find. They are a, a small community, Jews that have accepted Jesus as uh, their Messiah even to the day today. Jesus says that when he returns, they will look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for, a, uh, for an only child that is lost. And so, difficult to understand, but we see that Jesus is telling them that they're to go out and that they are going to face some persecution and opposition. In verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his uh, household? And so Jesus, once again, is talking about, look at Jesus' life. Look at the persecution that he faced. He is the light of the world. And he came, and it says he came to his own, and his own received him not, it says, because they loved their darkness. Now, if we are followers of Jesus, and if Jesus now faced that kind of persecution, what are his followers going to expect? Are you going to expect to be treated better by the world than Jesus was treated better by the world? And, and so we see that Jesus now is, is setting up a realistic expectation. I, I find oftentimes that Christians can have, can have a false expectation of what following after Jesus means. In other words, you know, we've lived a life separated from God and, and now suddenly we, we've got God in, in, in the right place in our life. We, we've kind of turned things around. We've 
we've put it together and, and, and now we're loving God and, and we're in church and, and all. And we can sometimes believe that, that now my life is really going to get sweet and easy. But we see that Jesus uh, lets us know that following after him doesn't mean that your life is going to get easier in this uh, world. They hated me. They're going to hate you, is what he is saying. And so he says that a servant isn't above his master. In other words, if they persecuted the master and you're a servant of the master, you're going to get that persecution. You're not, you're not above that. And a student isn't above his teacher. If they persecuted the teacher, they're going to look for the students and, and they're going to persecute the students as well. So don't look at or think of persecution or opposition from the world as confirmation that you're doing something wrong jesus would say look at it as a confirmation that you're doing something right it is going to be a part uh, of uh, our life and therefore verse 26 do not fear them for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known and once again we see jesus dealing with the issue of uh, fear don't fear this world don't fear the people that are in this world and the rulers of this world. He, he says that there's nothing covered that is not going to, to be revealed. And, and so we can sometimes look and think that, that those that are pushing evil, and truly in our culture today there are those that are just pushing evil they are pushing evil upon our children they're pushing evil upon our culture the denial that there is truth the denial that there is a righteousness or a standard that that god has established even the denial that there that there is god there is just the evil that is being pushed forwards in our culture and in our day it says don't be afraid of them while that can look like they're prospering, when he says that nothing is covered that will not be revealed, the judgment of eternity gives us that great confidence in God's ultimate justice. Those who seem to cheat justice here upon this earth, <laughs> they will not cheat justice in eternity. Amen? And so it tells us that we're to pray for them, but don't be afraid of them. You know, I... I Here's the pep talk that Jesus is giving his disciples now that he's turned into apostles. Ready, apostles? Here's, here's what you're in for. I'm going to send you out as sheep amongst wolves. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good, but don't worry. Okay, You're going to be tried and scourged in the Jewish courts as you're doing this. And, and you'll also be brought before governors and kings. You're going to be delivered in, in various different ways. And, and by the way, you know, there's going to be division in your family. And, and you're going to be betrayed even in your own families. You're going to be hated and persecuted by the world in general, and, and you're going to be called satanic. Who wants to sign up? <laughs> it's like, this is the pep talk here, you know, before you're, you're sending us out now without you here. He says in verse 27, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Jesus says that what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. In other words, you know, the disciples, they, they would eat with Jesus, they would travel with Jesus, and Jesus would have that private time of ministering to him. You know what he says? Share whatever I have shared with you in, in private. There are no secrets. What I'm telling you and teaching you and instructing you, there, there aren't levels of, of secrecy in Christianity in which you move from one level to the next level and, and things are, are hidden. He says, freely share everything that I tell you. Preach it from the, uh, from the housetops. Now, uh, what does that mean? Once again, remember that their housetops were flat. And so those were areas that you would gather, you would fellowship up there and relax and enjoy. But also uh, the standing on the top of the, uh, of the flat roof, you could also uh, take and, and, and bring information. You could share and speak you know, from there. And so Jesus is talking about you know, speaking publicly those things that, that he is declaring, that he is instructing them in. Today, we don't have many flat rooftops. I was looking, Henderson. <laughs> no flat roofs, you know. So when Jesus says, you know, to, to, to go up onto the rooftops and preach on the housetops, what is, he, what is he talking about for us today? To me, when I look at that, it, it means to use the opportunities that are available to you to be able to share the good news with the world that is around you. That was the place that they had access to, flat roof. They could go up and, and they could share the, the message of the good news. But today, it is amazing the technology and the explosion of technology that, uh, that we have had e easily just in my lifetime alone. It is staggering. Going from radio to television and then from television and the gospel went forth, and I can remember watching Billy Graham on TV, and you know the using now the technology of television to broadcast the gospel and and services and and all were on TV, and and then the internet, and and now social media, and and all, and and today the the rooftops are are the technology that you've got the ability to be able to reach the world in ways that we never been able to reach the world and the question is are we reaching the world for jesus are you taking and using the rooftop that in place of communication to the world around you are you using it to be able to to share and to build up the kingdom of god this is what jesus was instructing the uh, the apostles uh, into he says don't be afraid if, if people push back you're going to get pushed back. Don't be afraid of them. He says, and then he takes it to another level. Don't be afraid of man. What can man do to you? What's the worst thing that man can do to you? He says, and the worst thing that man can do to you is end your life, your physical life. But he says, there is a difference between your body and your soul. Look at how Jesus talks about now the fact that our body, it's temporal. Your soul is eternal. And so he says they, they can affect your, your, your body, but who's the one that can affect your soul? He's the one that you want to be concerned with. And the one that can affect your soul is none other than God. And look, at, he says not only can he affect your soul, but he's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And here again we see Jesus talking about the reality of, uh, of hell. Hell is a real place. And God desires that you would receive the reconciliation that he has in his hand because hell is real. 
oftentimes people don't want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and, and they just simply say, well, I just don't believe that hell is real. See, I don't need a Savior. If there is no such thing as hell, then I don't need to be saved from anything, and I just don't believe it. And the challenge, the problem with truth is that truth doesn't care if you believe it or not. <laughs> whether a person believes in hell or doesn't, it has nothing to do with whether hell actually exists <laughs> or not. And Jesus is declaring that hell is real and that you do not want any part hmm, of being separated from God. We see in verse 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And, and so, here again, as Jesus is sending them out, what is the issue? What is the concern? Fear. What keeps us from sharing the gospel with others? Fear. We're, we're afraid. We don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt our relationships. We, we are concerned. And here we see that Jesus is once again telling them, don't be afraid and know this. My father loves you. He cares about you. He's watching over you. He says, two sparrows. He says, they're, they're sold for a copper coin. That's a penny. And they were very inexpensive. And, and sparrows, really, they, they would use them as an hors d'oeuvre. That was about the only thing that sparrows were, were good for. Very, very inexpensive. I have to tell you, I've never eaten a sparrow as an hors d'oeuvre. But back in the day, that's what they say. But he says that he, even two sparrows, he says they don't, they, they don't fall to the ground without my father's awareness and his knowledge. And, and my father's knowledge of you, let me tell you how intimate it is. He has the hairs on your head numbered. Numbered. The average head of hair, 140,000. 140,000 hairs. If you look around, some more, some much less. <laughs> but I want you to know that it doesn't say that he knows the number that's on your head. It says that he has them numbered. In other words, he knows exactly which hairs you are missing. He has them numbered. That's a level of intimacy that's crazy. And so that's the, the, the level of love that God has for you. When you recognize that he knitted you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth, the amazing love of God he says, therefore, don't fear. Don't be afraid. You're of more value than, uh, than many sparrows. You see over and over how Jesus deals with the issue of fear. Fear, fear, fear. Why? Because we struggle with fear. We struggle with uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And in the unknown, we are going to battle between fear and faith. The, the, the unknown is, is scary. What, what dangers lie ahead? What difficulties? What hardships? And, and everything from relationship concerns to health concerns to financial concerns to security concerns. There, there are all different concerns that, uh, that we can be weighed down with. And, and when we start to get weighed down with concerns in our life, guess what? We stop living. 
We stopped living to today because we're carrying all, uh, all of these fears. And Jesus keeps on saying, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow we're just going to take care of itself. Don't worry what you're going to eat. Don't worry what you're going to wear. Don't worry where you're going to move and what is going to, to happen to you. You see, when you begin to see your life through a kingdom perspective, what you begin to recognize and to understand is, is that God's desire for you is to be able to love others. And do you know what? If he moves your job, he, he's just changing the people that you're going to be able to love. If he moves you to a different neighborhood, he's going to change the people around you that, that you're going to have an opportunity to love. You see, everything is about your opportunity that God is giving you to love the people that are around you. And so you get sick. You have to go to the doctor. Guess what? God wanted you to be ministering in that doctor's office. There, there was somebody there that, uh, that he wants you to touch. Or there's a witness and a testimony of the way that you're going to handle that illness that is going to take and encourage others. And so we see that God is just moving us around to be able to touch others and to have these appointments and, and all. And God's question to you is this, can I, can I move you around? Do I have permission to do that? Am I allowed to be able to, to have you touch and encourage and minister whoever and wherever I, I need that to happen or transpire? Or, or do you just want to be nice and secure and safe in your little cubby? <laughs> can I stay in my cubby, Lord? <laughs> <laughs> but you were made for so much more than that. But fear wants to keep you there. And God's trying to draw you out to live life, to love life, to enjoy all the blessings that, that he has. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Today, what are you afraid of? What's weighing you down? What, what are the concerns that, that, that start to grip you, that start to pull your peace and, uh, away? And would you hear the voice of the Lord say to you today, don't worry about that. Come give that to me. I've got that. I've got you. Let's get on with living. Let's get on with loving. Let's get on with enjoying because you know what? You don't have forever here upon this earth. And every day is a precious gift. And, and when you waste it by, by worrying, <laughs> you've thrown away that gift that God has given to you today. Don't fear. You're of more value than many sparrows. And therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so here again we see that, uh, that Jesus is making this radical, this radical declaration that your entrance into the kingdom of God is completely dependent upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. That if you are connected to him in this life, that you are going to be connected to him in eternity. And if you are not connected to him in this life, you will not be connected to him in eternity. And no one is going to enter in. Jesus is going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. I am the door. And there is no other door into the entrance of the, of the kingdom. There's no side gates. There's no back door. There's no other way of entering into the kingdom except through Jesus. And as he makes this, this incredible declaration, he, he follows it up in verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He says, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. It's interesting because that's exactly what the angels declared, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is what the angels declared at the birth of our Lord. And while Jesus is in fact bringing the kingdom through which we as believers will experience that peace, we see that in Jesus, in making these claims, these exclusive claims, now that exclusive claim is going to cause a division. You're either going to believe that claim or you're not going to believe that claim. And that claim itself is going to divide. Who is Jesus Christ? The identity of Jesus Christ. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Is he the Savior of the world? This is the very question that the nation was grappling with, the identity. Here he is doing all of these miracles and declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. And now the question is, what do you believe? And we see that that is the exact same declaration that is made today, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. What do you believe? But Jesus is saying that, what you believe on that is going to determine how you spend eternity. He says that once again, that, that your relationship with me needs to be the preeminent relationship in your life. In other words, you, you might want to follow Jesus, but your family might not want you to. You might come from a, a background that, that is not in Christian. And, and Jesus is saying that if your love for your family is greater than your love for me, then you're not worthy of me. If the fear of man is going to keep you from following me, then, then you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. He's not teaching that we shouldn't love our family. Family love is important. We're to honor and obey our mother and our father. But... Not when it comes to the priority of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when we're going to follow Christ, we are to follow Christ, regardless of the opposition that we will face. And, and, and do you know, sometimes we think it's the opposition that's outside of our house, but truly, the most painful opposition can come right within our own house, right with our, uh, with our own family members. And so... Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Here again, we see that Jesus is talking about the priority. Where is Jesus in your life? What's the priority level of your relationship with Christ versus your other relationships that you have in your life? That's what he's asking you to, to examine. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be Lord over the entirety of your life. And he will be Savior as you establish him as Lord. It says, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, He will not take up his cross follow me he says he's not worthy of me that cross is the vivid picture of uh, of submission and humility to christ he says he who receives you receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me and so we see the the, the unmistakable claim of his relationship to god the 
authority of the Father and the Son and, and ultimately to his disciples. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. In other words, when, when a prophet is ministering and you help that in prophet, you are helping his ministry that, that you will receive a, a reward from God for the help of that in prophet's ministry. It says, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. If you help a righteous man in, in doing righteously, God will bless you for that. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And so we see that the simplest of help given will not go unnoticed or unrewarded by God. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for a minute back to verse 39. Back to where Jesus said that he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who finds his life will lose it. What does that mean? It means that a person who is seeking after the purpose of their life. What is the purpose of your life? In other words, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? What are your ambitions in this world? And he says that when, when a person is chasing after their own ambitions in, in their life, they're, they're going to find, be fulfilled with those ambitions, but they're going to have missed out the entire point of living this life. A person who sets down himself in order to follow after Jesus is going to find that eternal life, the fulfillment of your life. You might have been on a track to, to achieve your goals and, and all, and then suddenly the, the Lord interrupts that and, and calls to you. You remember that Matthew is a tax collector. He's sitting there. He's built his life up, and he's in the booth, and Jesus says, come, and what did he do? He had to depart from his old life. Matthew talks about uh, and records for us how, uh, how Peter and James and John and Andrew, they're fishermen, and Jesus said, come, and, and what did they have to do? They had to lose their life. They had to lose that old life that they had, that old life where you're in charge, where you're making your decisions, where you're doing what you want to do, and you're going where you want, and you're doing it when you want to. You're the authority over your life. You've moved from a child into an adult, and now... You're living your life the way that you want to, on your terms. He says, when you're living your life on your terms, guess what? You've actually lost your life. Because in the end, you are going to be separated from God. But the person that gives up that life and surrenders it into the Lord and allows God now to lead you in your life, that is a person who is going to find life. You're going to find not only are you finding eternal life? But you are finding fulfillment in this life. You see, what is the will of God for your life? That's the most important question that, that there is. Not what I want with my life. God, what do you want with my life? And so that is the surrender of our life to God. And I promise you this. God has a plan for your life. God created you. He put you together. He knows what your gifts and talents are, and he knows just how to be able to use you. He's just looking for that person that says, Lord, I surrender 
all to you. We sing that song, I surrender all. The question is, have we surrendered all? And that's really the issue that Jesus is, is talking about. Once you are saved, once that issue of salvation has been dealt with, here's the question for every single one of us. Now what? Now what? We know what's going to happen when we breathe our last breath. We know that because of the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and I, that we're going to enter into heaven. We know that we are blood-bought saints that are redeemed and we have nothing to be afraid of with that last breath that we breathe and how glorious that is to have no fear of uh, of death where sin doesn't reign over us any longer we know that we are forgiven and, and washed now what now what and that's what jesus is talking about right here he's saying are you going to go and just live your life knowing that in the end you go to heaven or are you going to surrender now your life to me and let me direct you and, and build you? What is he doing right now? He is taking those apostles and what is he doing? He's sending them out now. They now are going to do what Jesus is directing them to, to do. Up until then, they've been living their own life, doing their own thing. And so in our lives, now that we are saved, now that we are washed, now that we're cleansed, will you give him more of your life and allow God to use you. Here's what I promise you. I, I will make an absolute promise to you based upon the authority of the word of God. That the plan that God has for your life, listen, is so far superior to any plan that you could possibly have for your own life. That, that his adventure and his life is beyond what you could ever even imagine for yourself. I know the plans that I have for you, he says. They're plans to prosper you and to give you peace. And, and so that fulfillment of being used by God. Here we see the apostles on the verge now of being sent out and being used by God to experience now things that they never even could have imagined, to be able to help people, bless and touch, empowered by God to be able to, uh, to do that. And they will come back and it will be unbelievable to be able to be used by God. They, they are suddenly going to be able to take a sick person, lay hands on them, pray for them, and just see them absolutely restored. And I want you to know that, that they were undoing the consequences of, of sin because ultimately all sickness results from the fall and from sin itself. And, and today... People are being set free from bondages. They're being encouraged through fear and anxiety. You're touching and healing and helping and exhorting and praying with and, and all of the things, building up the kingdom of God. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world and loses his, loses his soul? In other words, another way of saying it is, is what a wasted life when we are the focus of our life versus what a blessed life when you're used by God to be able to be a blessing to others. And that invitation, God continues to pass that out each and every day to all of us. And so a person who finds his life, finds purpose for his own life, is going to lose that opportunity. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the invitation to be able to come and be a part of, uh, of your kingdom. 
And so resurrection life can only come after we take up our cross and after we follow after Jesus. And, and so the moment-by-moment -moment decision requiring denial of self and taking up our own cross, God, help us now. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.